and welcome to another episode of the Mailbox Rose Gallery. Uh, I'm Sean, as always. Uh, unfortunately, my co-host Birch, your other favourite host, he can't be with me this week. Uh, he's in hospital suffering from a mild migraine. But I've got a guest, a special guest here with me this week to discuss uh, our topic, which is, of course, William Shakespeare. Uh, so I've got with me Britain's foremost expert on William Shakespeare. Uh, he's also coincidentally called James Birch. Um, say hello, James. Hello, yes, it's uh, nice to meet you. My name is also James Birch. Yeah, and actually listeners might be a little bit confused because um, you're probably not aware of this, but you actually sound exactly like the James Birch I usually do this podcast with. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's actually quite uncanny. But just uh, for listeners, I know it might sound a bit confusing, but just remember that this James Birch you're going to hear for this episode is, as I say, Britain's foremost expert on William Shakespeare. Foremost? Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, James Birch, as uh, Britain's foremost Shakespeare scholar, Mm. do you think William Shakespeare had a dog? Do I think he had a dog? Well, there's many years' worth of research into whether he had a dog, and uh, the evidence that I have found in in my years as a scholar of uh, of William Shakespeare would uh, lead me to believe that he, he likely did. And what does the evidence say uh, regarding the size of the dog? Oh, it was uh, very likely a, a dog-sized dog. A dog-sized dog, yeah. yeah. Any indication as to whether the dog was called Pickles? Pickles? Um, I mean, based off of his texts, the word Pickles comes up all the time, doesn't it? I mean, every other character is called Pickles. We can only assume that's in tribute to a dog. Possibly a cat. Mm. A dog-shaped cat. Yeah, well, I mean, he uh, famously grew up in a pickle shack. That was his parents' profession. They they sold pickles. Okay, yeah. In that would have been in Stratford upon Avon, I assume. Yep, the famous uh, pickle shack of Stratford upon Avon. Uh, and what's the status of the pickle shack at the moment? Um, well, the place is well and truly pickled. It's uh, no longer no longer active. It's there as uh, something of a, a tourist attraction, uh, much like the Globe. Much like the Globe, I was going to say, yeah. Except this one's probably a little bit more interesting. I'd say so, yeah. You can certainly uh, get a, a much more of an idea of where William Shakespeare came from. Uh, you can smell the pickles still on the wall, which, if you're a fan of pickles, is also nice. Yeah, and um, I suppose I never really thought about it until now, but when you look at the Globe, it would actually be the perfect shape as uh, of a kind of pickle holder. You could just pop a little, not a, not a little pickle, you could pop a big pickle right in the middle of that globe and uh, just keep it cool, keep it standing up. Well, many people believe that that was the initial intention for, for the globe, which is why William Shakespeare is so closely linked to it. It was initially going to be England's one-stop shop for pickles. And instead it became... Um... Some, like, people prancing about on stage or something like that it's i find that far less interesting than, than his pickle history if mm. i'm quite honest sure. right so as, as britain's foremost scholar you, you concentrate more on the pickle history yeah i'd say so yeah i mean as a scholar i have to look at all aspects of his life but he uh certainly uh, was downhill for him from his pickle yeah years. that's not what piques your interest yeah <laughs> In his early days, um, as we've already mentioned, he was uh, brought up in a world of pickles. His uh, mother and father both sold them, and that's all he ate during his uh, formative years. That's all he was uh, given for food. That might explain a lot, actually. He's kind of... You see those portraits of him. He is sort of pickle-looking, isn't he? Very pickleless, yeah. Yeah. He's this big kind of dome-shaped head with a hell of a receding hairline, I must say. Um, not to put the man down, 
but uh, certainly he is kind of uh, rounded like at the top of a pickle. Well, the reason for that and also the reason why he decided to make his own name as a, a playwright was one night as a essentially as a way for his mother and father to advertise the pickles. Sorry, one night as a wafer. He spent one night as a wafer. A wafer of thin meat. No, no. Um, one night as a way for okay. his parents to um, advertise the pickles a bit more. What they thought would bring people to see the uh, the pickle stand is if they started kind of surgically attaching pickles to uh, young William Shakespeare, like how oddities and things like that were quite popular back in those days, like the the pig-headed woman of Manchester Square. And what they were hoping to do was they were trying to get the pickle boy of Stratford-upon-Tyne. So Stratford-upon-Avon. Stratford-upon-Avon. That's a very basic mistake for Britain's foremost scholar of Shakespeare to have made. I'm just seeing if you're keeping up. <laughs> yeah, okay, no, oh, you're testing me, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Carry on. So, in his sleep, what they started doing was they started inserting pickles into him and also sewing some pickles on his skin, uh, which is why he has quite a bulbous forehead. There's actually still about three or four pickles lodged in his skull. Times were quite different back then. Um, I think these days it's frowned upon to insert pickles into people while they sleep. It was a long process, but eventually we kind of have overcome that as a nation, uh, inserting pickles in people. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the, the it's quite taboo now, even. It's quite taboo. Oh, absolutely. So that's the reason why he didn't take up the pickle business, which was a very profitable business at the time for his parents. I'm sure. He kind of realised, this isn't really for me. I can't be the pickle boy. I need to go out and uh, live my own life. So, so he left home, and uh, that's when he tried to uh, start a career, essentially, in the arts. On to his life in general, then. One thing that I found very interesting mm-hmm. uh, was that his wife was called Anne Hathaway. That's right. Yes, yes, she was. Uh, much like the uh, the actress who won us all over in Devil Wears Prada. Now, this raises a lot of questions for me as to the Anne Hathaway that we know's time-travelling abilities. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not... I mean, you obviously know this as Britain's mm. foremost scholar in William Shakespeare, but his wife really was called Anne Hathaway, and that's the same name as Anne Hathaway from Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. So... Is she a time traveller? Well, I'm glad that someone's finally giving credence to the time travel theory because a lot of people less scholarly than I mm. uh, seem to think... And you are Britain's foremost scholar in William Shakespeare. Foremost. A lot of people seem to think of it as some kind of nonsense. It's like just a coincidence. As it, as just if. a coincidence. As if two people could have the same name. Separated by 500 years of history. That doesn't make that doesn't add up to me. No, absolutely, it's, it's ridiculous. So, mm. yes, you are quite right. She was a time traveller. Right. Okay. Now, are these innate skills that Anne Hathaway has, or do you believe she had uh, built some sort of time travelling device? Well, I mean, we're here to talk about Shakespeare, but I suppose I can delve into uh, what my next uh, thesis is going to be, and it is on the the time travelling Hathaway clan. If you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a preview of your upcoming work, yes, certainly I can. I can give a. a I guess it'd be good publicity for it before the book's even out. So basically, I have this uh, this theory that uh, that the Hathaways have been travelling through time, changing the course of history, as it were, with Anne Hathaway. The uh, reasons were clear as to why she would want to marry William Shakespeare. She was an aspiring young actress. Yeah. It's... And who better to uh, work with than the uh, the single greatest writer in English history? So as Britain's foremost expert on Shakespeare, you, you, that's a claim that you will make, that he was the best writer to that, come out of this country. That is a claim I will make 
anyone who disagrees with me, I'll punch him in the eyes. Okay, yeah, and you're known for following through on your word there. Oh, the amount of people I've blinded. Blinded, wow, okay. Very hard punch to the eyes. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I was going to make some joke about how they must look quite cartoonish, like a panda, but actually it sounds like quite a serious, grievous bodily harm that you're causing there. Mm, yeah, you could say that. So, obviously we know what uh, Anne Hathaway got out of being married to William Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, how did it work the other way? What did he benefit from? Well, what he got from it is that he was very fortunate in that he was uh, the very first person to get to see Devil Wears Prada um, before it had even been released. Wow, that is quite a scoop, yeah. Before it had even been made. How often can you say that? It's like, I want to show you a film that hasn't even been made yet. I imagine he would have been quite impressed in general. A, at the the costumes, the mobile phones, everything in the film... Uh, B, that there were women playing women, whereas in his plays there were men playing women. Mm. And C, the fact that there were uh, there was moving pictures on a screen powered by electricity. All of this must have been a whirlwind for him. He took it in his stride. He, he was good like that. So tell us more about this time-travelling Hathaway clan. The Hathaway clan, uh, like time-travelling, travelling Wilburys, basically. They, musicians, they were musicians. Yeah, they're kind of like a super group that would go around a super group of artists, like actors, singers, musicians, painters. Oh, I see. So... And influencing the world through their art. Those cave paintings from tens of thousands of years ago um, were little doodles made by a little Hathaway who went back that far. So Hathaway, you're using it as quite an informal term there. It doesn't have to be Anne Hathaway. I've got to ask, are there any other stars of stage, screen, art, music or culture that are a Hathaway in that sense, that are a time-travelling person? Most of them are keeping very low-key. It's mm. only recently Anne Hathaway who's broken the mould and become something of a celebrity, which is where I first started getting a glimpse into this conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, it's a conspiracy, you think? Well, it's not the word I like to use for it. I use it begrudgingly, but it's it's the word that has been applied to it. It's true that this is the first I've heard of this. If it is the truth, it must be being covered up. Well, if you want more information, you can check out the website. Those pesky fucking Hathaways dot biz. Dot biz, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can get a dot a gov domain name for that then. No, well, now I think... Now that your funding's been cut. No, no, that's true, yeah. I thought business gave it a little bit of a kind of professional edge to it. Right, okay. So you're making some money off of this. Oh, I suppose you're selling a book, aren't you? Yeah, eventually. As soon as it gets published. And there's some kind of uh, payment from this podcast, I presume. What, financial recompense is what you're after? Yeah, for my expertise. To bring in some more listeners to your podcast, which I'm sure I will do. Um, right, well, this is a bit awkward. I don't want you to blind me in both my eyes, but I do have to tell you that... Well, you know what you have to do then. <laughs> well, okay, but let me just lay the situation out. You were, as much as I asked you on the podcast, because you are Britain's foremost scholar on the subject of William Shakespeare, and um, the subject of this week's episode is, foremost. of course, William Shakespeare. Yeah. I did also ask you on pretty much as much, because your name is James Birch and you sound exactly like the James Birch you usually on. And he doesn't get paid. See, he doesn't get paid, so I didn't think you'd want to get paid. It's not a very encouraging thing to tell someone. No, but I mean, I didn't want to tell you. I wouldn't have told you, but you kind of brought it up. You brought up this issue of payment, and it's a little bit awkward now because I, I can't pay you. Hmm. Well, um... I usually just give the other James Birch um, a Kinder Egg, but uh, he likes the puzzles, see. Um, 
I say puzzles, they're not puzzles, they're just toys, but he really struggled to put the last one. He couldn't work out how to put the toy together or really what it did. Uh, it was a puzzle for him. But I don't have any Kinder Eggs this week because I knew that the other James Birch wasn't going to come, so I didn't pick any up. We'll talk about the payment later, and um, we'll, we'll carry on with the discussion. Right, you, you're, you're clenching your fists, and you're sort of like, yeah, I, I, I don't like the look of that. You're looking quite... You look, yeah, we'll talk about it afterwards. We'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, yeah, that's fine by me. So just going back to these uh, time-travelling celebrities, Yeah. Uh, I, I, you've, you've done the research, so I'm going to pitch someone that has cropped up in, in my eyes as someone who might be one. Leonardo DiCaprio... 100% a time traveller. Right, because his name sounds a lot like Leonardo da Vinci, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, most of those syllables are the same. Mm. Yeah, I did wonder. I did wonder. Um, I mean, what what baffles my mind that people don't seem to, to realise is that there is footage of him over 100 years ago. Really? Yeah. It was one of the first things that kind of people saw of him. It was like, it was this film labelled Titanic this documentary and and you can clearly see that's him there on the titanic i've seen some of this footage it does look exactly like leonardo dicaprio who lives in this day and age well it even says on on the the video box it, it says his name on there yeah there's a picture of him hmm. on this video box yeah 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 that is fascinating actually because that was filmed in what 1916 if i'm not mistaken 1912 i believe the titanic Okay, so that was filmed in 1912, and uh, yeah, that a hun- over a hundred years ago, and mm. he looks practically the same. Exactly, but I mean, what what baffles my mind is that um, at the end of this uh, th- this video, he he very clearly dies. Mm. So that's why I'm kind of wondering: is this towards the end of his his timeline? Or, or is this some kind of right? So you're thinking the DiCaprio we know in this day and age travels potentially it travels back to die on the titanic basically yeah so the one who dies on the titanic is a later version of leonardo the dicaprio the one we know and love now who's in all these wonderful movies he's he's yet to drown right okay it must be tough for him to know what's in store you think you just wouldn't time travel back to 1912 wouldn't you yeah, I know, but at the same time, uh, one thing I found with my studies in time travel is that uh, there is a set path that everyone, whether they want to or not, will take. Are you telling me that destiny is a very real thing? I'm telling you that destiny is a very real thing. Okay. <laughs> well, I've got to find out. I've got to find one of these uh, time traveling celebrities and find out what my destiny is. <laughs> so his first play that he wrote and he did this with a bunch of friends it was just him and a, a couple of ragtag mates that he knew on the streets just a just a group of crazy kids just, just, from stratford upon avon just three crazy kids from stratford upon avon and so the three of them put together this play on a whim and it ended up becoming massive and uh, that play was called the biker mice from mars oh wow Oh, okay. And what was that about? It sounds fascinating, I will say. Oh, it's incredible. Uh, and sadly, one of his lesser-known plays as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm not sure I've heard of it. Well, yeah, it was his first play, so that could very well be why it has been lost to time. Mm. But I have found a, a manuscript of the original play, and I have to say it is fantastic. It's uh, about these uh, these mice, these humanoid mice 
who join this kind of biker gang. Oh, yeah. And they're from the planet Mars. Wow, okay. I mean, I'm surprised he even knew much about Mars, let alone that there were biker mice out there. Oh, yeah, well, or bikes, motorbikes. He, he predicted that in yeah. his work. Wow, that's, that in itself is quite something, really. Incredibly uh, prophetic artist. Well, I suppose he did have a time-travelling wife, didn't he? So, potentially, she brought back some of that knowledge. I didn't think of that, yeah. I mean, also, she potentially travelled forward from where we are. She might know more about what the mice on Mars are up to in uh, in another thousand years, for example. That is very true, yeah. Um, but, regardless, people loved the play. They loved how exciting it was and how... It sounds exciting. How original it was as well. It sounds original. And they were then commissioned to... Uh, continue more street performances and they carried this on for for many years they had one play by the name of street sharks oh yeah street sharks he had one called the teenage mutant ninja turtles now i've heard of that i didn't realize that was one of his that was one of his yep that's right he had one called uh transformers he-man and the masters of the universe yeah no i've heard of that one too wow he has quite a portfolio some of these um you might be aware were actually turned into 90s children's cartoons did you know that? Cartoons? Yeah, cartoons. The He-Man one and what was the one you said beforehand, before the He-Man? Transformers. They have both been turned into cartoons that were primarily used in the 90s to sell toys to children. Right, well, I've not come across that in my findings, I must say. Okay, well, um, you know, far be it from me to disparage your findings. Maybe just dig a little bit deeper on that one. I'll tell you what, pop one of those names, Transformers or He-Man, into Google. You know Google? I'm aware of it. Yeah, just pop one of those into Google and I think you'll be surprised at the number of cartoon images that come up. Okay, well, I'll uh, I'll do that. That's fine. And after that period of those uh, those plays, he started getting some notoriety, not only in his own hometown, but up and down the country. Mm. And that is when he was given his kind of residence, as it were, at uh, a major theatre company. And was this the Royal Shakespeare Company? It was the Royal Shakespeare Company, yes, that's right. I mean, you could almost say it was it was perfect for him, just, just the name, the coincidence there. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. So there were, in the history that maybe you're a bit more familiar with, but me, the average Joe, doing a little bit of reading online, hmm. there's two periods of what are called Shakespeare's lost years. So from 1578 to 1582, he kind of disappears from all historical records any theories as to what he might have been getting up to during that four-year period? I have more than theories. I have hard evidence that can tell you exactly where he was. I'm during... keen to hear it. I'm so keen to hear it, I'm willing to interrupt the end of your sentence. Basically, you have to bear in mind that during these lost years, he'd already been uh, quite prolific as a writer, and he did just end up burning himself out with all, all this writing. Mm. So what he ended up doing was he said, right, that's it. I've had enough of this. I'm going to put all of the writing behind me. And for a, a few years, I'm going to go away and I'm going to live as someone else. I'm going to live another life and try and find out who I truly am. Right. OK. And who did he end up living as? He spent those four years as the Queen. The Queen of England? The Queen of England, no less. Queen Elizabeth I. Queen Elizabeth I. Queenie. Wow, that is... Uh, because... You'll know, of course, he did actually have some chops as an actor as well as a as a writer, as an author of plays. He did. Yeah, he must have been very convincing. I mean, of course, back in Shakespearean times, Elizabethan times, there weren't any female actors. It was men playing playing women. So potentially he took that and, and turned it into a, a 
truly fantastic performance. But it was it was more than a portrayal, really. I mean, those were really the big years for Queen Elizabeth I, and, and we have William Shakespeare to thank for that. Well, just another one of the many things we have to thank him for. I know it's a little bit off topic, but it it makes you wonder about our current queen, Queen Elizabeth II, whether she might just be a man in drag. Well, I have no doubt in my mind that that's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe that's something I can pick your brains on uh, after we finish recording this episode, because that is a fascinating prospect. Another time. Another time. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's you seem pretty definitive on what he was doing between 1578 and 1582 well you have to remember sean i am the foremost expert on william shakespeare yeah the foremost expert foremost so he then appears again as you know in public record between 1582 and 1585 uh but he disappears again 1585 1592 bit of a longer stretch this time seven years that's right what do you think he was doing then well initially when he'd changed his identity and became the monarch of the country. He was trying to find out who he was. And he he soon realised that all that he was really doing again was playing a part, Mm. hiding who he truly was by pretending to be someone else. So on his uh, second pilgrimage, I like to call it, to find out who he truly was, what he ended up doing was stripping himself of all wealth. Material possessions. That's right, yes. And he ended up joining a hippie dogging community. Wow, a hippie dogging community. That's right. In the 1500s. That's right, yeah. He kind of stripped himself of his clothes. They just like walked the hills, um, having sex with each other. Oh, so dogging definitely meant the same thing back in those days. Yeah, well, he he of course invented a lot of words. He was the uh, the proponent for the word dogging. Right, okay. Wow, that's not one you hear about so often. No. So they spent a lot of time just having sex with each other on the hills. That's some life. Uh, Seven years is quite a long time to do that, though. It it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I'm not not condoning what he did. I'm just a scholar of his life. I'm just reporting the facts here. And that's what he did for seven years. Yeah, well, far be it from us here in the 21st century to judge the lives of those living 500 or more years ago hmm. i could i could probably live on a hillside dogging for maximum 18 months hmm. the idea of doing it for seven years sounds quite daunting but i suppose if he was doing it in a spiritual way to get his true self oh it was only spiritual yes of course yeah well you've got to respect him for that i couldn't hack it but you've got to respect him for that he finally finally found out who he was um, a sex pervert <laughs> He's very famous, of course, for writing many great plays and sonnets. What some people don't realise as well, the uh, the amount of words that he, he brought to the English language. I think it's estimated to be about 3,000 words that he introduced. It's incredible. And many, many swearing words as well. Yeah. All of which he basically invented to use against his wife. Anne Hathaway. That's right, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, that's not very pleasant to hear. As as foremost William Shakespeare expert, I, I must say that uh, he was a bit of a twat at times. That's one that he used. That's a professional opinion, uh, that he was a twat. Professional opinion. And whenever I do my lectures with the bright-eyed university students and all the freshers, when I go up there on the podium and speak, my first words are always the same thing. William Shakespeare was a bit of a twat. Mm. Okay, well, I'm interested to hear that, yeah. 
Um, would you like to just uh, give us a, a bullet-pointed list of some of his most famous swear swearing phrases, swear words? Yeah, I, of course I will. Now, bearing in mind that these are things that he would use against his wife, he would uh, say things like, Oh, you dopey old twat. That's just so mean. That is That's horrible. Very mean, horrible. Yeah. Very mean. Spirited. And she had no idea what he was talking about. He's making these words up. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. He, he was might just... as well have been talking French for all she knows. Cabbage fucker is one of his as well, isn't it? Cabbage fucker. You fucking cabbage fucker, Anne. The fuck are you doing? Yeah. State it, you love. That was another one of his. Well, not a swear word, but he just... No, but a, a turn of phrase that he brought about. Like she'd walk in the house, he'd like look at her. He's like holding his newspaper, got a pipe in his mouth. And he just looks at her, starts kind of shaking his head, goes, the fucking state are you, love? Blimey. Yeah, horrible, man. Horrible. Another one of his, uh, you shit-eyed cock gobbler. That's particularly harsh. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that in that phrase. I, I don't know if it's... I don't know where I'm getting this from. Obviously, there's no context. Do you think that one, might be one that he yelled at his kids as well as they come in tracking mud through the house? Yeah, I think... They were initially meant for his wife, but he ended up just using them on anyone. Willy-nilly. Yeah. That was one of his as well, willy-nilly. Yeah, that's right. Any that you can think of, any kind of like popular swear words or swear phrases that you can think of that you use in this day and age. So, for example, one that I use probably every day, piss goblet. Is that one of his? That's one of his, piss Piss goblet. goblet. Wow, okay. What he would do, there was a little bit more to it. I'm not sure I want to know the story behind this one, but I get the feeling you're going to tell me anyway. Well, I am a scholar and a historian. I'm here to teach. You need to tell the truth. I'm here to teach whether you like it or not. So here's what the uh, origin of that was. Basically, he would literally piss into a goblet, right? And she'd be sat down, Anne Hathaway, reading a book. And he'd just kind of (laughs) throw this goblet over her head and then he'd kind of like go up to her really close while she's still kind of like soaked in his piss and he'd go piss goblet piss goblet like that oh, that is that is terrible that was sociopath another one of uh of his uh come rag billy goat oh that seems so specific as well mm. you, there's no there's no vagueness or generality generality to that bellend doppelganger that was another one of his now that it has a very practical uh, application though hmm. certainly in these days the world of criminal profiling uh, a bell and doppelganger is a phrase that's thrown around quite a lot that's right it is a form of detective work these days well it's where... like it's what they do with um people who have uh, been accused of public nudity or public indecency is they'll do like a police lineup um but they'll just have all the dongs out they'll have all the bell ends out and then obviously try and figure out if there are any uh, bell-end doppelgangers. What they also do, similar to how you'd get kind of fingerprints, what they do is they cover the end of the knob in this black ink and then smear it all over a bit of paper. And that's usually how they kind of catch their culprit as well. Mm, I don't realise there that they're actually uh, that that's actually now become a fetish because of the, uh, you know, people like to to do things that are to, to, that are to, to boot. I... People like to do things that are taboo, don't they? They like to... Uh... I know all too well. Right, okay, well, we'll leave that conversation there. That's not one I want to have on record. Gingivitis ass clown. Now, I'm not going to say that I understand that one, but I do like it. I can see myself using it quite a lot. Well, you have to remember, he wrote a lot of sonnets as well, so this kind of balladry and poetry was in him even with his insults. Yeah, because that one's quite flowery, isn't it? Mm. I like that. There is some poetry behind it. It's got a nice ring to it. Can you just say it again, please? Yes, certainly. Gingivitis ass clown. Yeah, that's nice. Mm. Poetry. 
Yeah, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Hmm. Okay, and um, we'll probably just leave that when it comes to swearing. But if you just want to quickfire a few swear words that he, you know, probably the if you do a little best of of his swear words that he invented. Yeah, sure. Uh, cheesy cock goblin, ass tickle monkey, butt plug hero, Svengali wankstain, Jesuit shit kicker, dirty tugboat captain, Raven's anus. Dirty Finch fucker. And, of course, Furby. Which I think is probably the greatest insult of all of those. It was his last and his most damaging. So, I feel like we've covered... uh, We talked about his beginnings. We talked about his career. We talked about his breaks from his career. Um, Maybe we'll just round things off with Shakespeare by talking about his his death. I was interested to know that he actually cursed his own grave. So uh, I'll just read the inscription that uh, he had written, which is on his grave. Mm-hmm. Good friend, for Jesus' sake forbear, to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man who spares the stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. It's spooky, isn't it? Very, very chilling. Yeah. And uh, would you, do you think there's some kind of witchcraft behind that? Do you think if we did actually go and dig up his bones now, he might come to life in some sort of zombie-like apparition and and curse us or attack us well i think as britain's foremost scholar of william shakespeare foremost um i would say that uh, his engraving and his epitaph were, were nothing more than empty threats of someone who at that point in his life was a pisshead okay do you fancy trying it what moving his bones yeah yeah i'd be more than happy to yeah i'm up for that okay cool because actually, if we had his uh, skull, we could probably prove some of your your theories about his likeness to Elizabeth I. That's right. And we could remove a few pickles, too. Yeah, that's true. Which I'm sure would only put him at rest. Yeah. He's probably been wandering this earth trying to get someone to take the pickles out of his head for centuries. Yeah. So if anything, it's really uh, the best thing that we could do for him. <laughs> Okay, so there we have it, the life and times of William yeah, um, Shakespeare. I hate to interrupt, I know it was mentioned earlier, it's been niggling at the back of my mind, this, right. this pay, this pay um, for, for my, my work here. Well, I've told you there's no pay. Well, I mean, I've given you so much, I've given you time-travelling Hathaways, I've given you little Pickle William boy, I've given you his plays, I've given you the ones no one knew about, I've given you his swear words, I mean... What more do you want from me? I get paid for lectures, you know. I get, I, I'm get. i a scholar, I'm a lecturer, and you expect me to do this for free? Well, there's no money to be made in podcasting, so I don't really know what you expect. I mean, I'm not going to deny that your contributions to this episode were were grand and uh, have helped greatly. You have a choice. My lawyers or my fists. My punching fists that I mentioned earlier in this podcast. Right, I, okay. I feel like this is something we should talk about off-air. Um... Let let me just sort of wrap this up. Why don't you? Oh, why don't you wait outside? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll wait outside. I'll go. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll just wrap this up I'll and I'll, practice on a punching bag, shall I? Yeah. Okay. See ya. Right. And how the fuck am I going to get out of this one? Uh, I'm like, I wonder if I could get out that window. Hey all. Oh, Birch. How are you doing? You feeling better? Yeah. Yeah. Much better. The uh, the doctors. Uh, they swapped my brain over, so uh, no more migraines. No more migraines. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But you, but you feel okay. You don't feel much different. I feel mostly myself. Yeah, I'm a bit numb on my right side, but other than that, I feel I feel good. Wow, perfect. Well, um, 
I hope you don't mind, but I actually started the episode this week uh, without you. I hope it's not. Are a you kidding? Oh, I the amount of research I've done for William Shakespeare. Well, I hope you're not too disappointed, but actually. Uh, I'm sure your research was great. I did manage to get hold of Britain's foremost expert on William Shakespeare. Foremost expert? Well, I got hold of him, yeah. That's fair enough, then. I, I can understand that. Well, was it any good? Yeah. Um, I have to tell you about him. He's 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 a bit of a character. Um, oh, right, okay. He's actually called James Birch as well, would you believe? <laughs> what a coincidence. That is a, this crazy coinky-dink. Well, you've, you've come here just for the end of the episode. I'm just about to sort of wrap it up, really. Yeah, we can wrap it up. Okay, great. Well, um, uh, thank you for listening to this episode about uh, Will I Am Shakespeare. Um, if you've enjoyed it, you can get hold of us uh, on Twitter at Mailbox Rogues. We're also on Facebook, Mailbox Rogues Gallery. You can email us at the Mailbox Rogues Gallery. Mailbox Rogues Gallery at gmail.com. Thank you. You can listen to us on Podbean, on iTunes, and also on YouTube. And while you find yourself on iTunes, if you found that you enjoyed the episode... Please give us a little review because it all helps to make the podcast more popular. See, you know what? That other James Birch, he was fine, but you're the professional. Oh, you well. know? I'm, I'm glad that we got you in for at least some of this episode because it just wouldn't be the same without you for, for at least the end. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Right, Birch, since you uh, missed most of the, um, the episode, uh, I'll hand over to you for the final word. Well, to quote the, uh, the man himself, all the world's a stage, which, which kind of makes sense because... Do you do you have to get splinters in your feet? Yeah, I do actually. Everywhere I go. Yeah, like even when I'm indoors, outdoors, in a swimming pool, I seem to get splinters at the bottom of my feet. Wow, so that's crazy. So it would make sense that it is a stage because stages are made of wood. I think we've got to get you back to hospital. Yeah, I'm feeling lump. No, no, uh, help. <laughs> Maybe we get that brain sorted while we're there. Yeah. Okay. Right. Tune in next time, listener. Hopefully, we've got Birch a new brain and some new feet. So, goodbye. Yeah.